Hello and welcome to this very special series of Start Somewhere for COP26. And this week, I am so delighted to be joined by an incredible woman uh, who I've been dying to interview for a very long time, whose name is Sandra Ojiambo, who is the CEO and Executive Director at the United Nations Global Compact. Welcome. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me. And I'm really looking forward to this chat today. Oh, my God. So am I. <laughs> so am I. So, Sandra, as you know, I always ask, you know, how did you get started in life? So kind of, you know, where did you grow up? What were your early passions? Because I, I think they kind of inform who we end up as, you know, later on in life. You know, I always reflect on the answer I'm about to give. And I start thinking, gosh, has this really been it? Because Life truly, I think, has, has charted a very interesting path for me. So, so I was born and bred in Kenya. I come from Kenya. Kenya is a country on the east coast of Africa, you know, truly beautiful, you know, beach, safari, etc. Um, I, I grew up in a family of four. I'm the last born in a family of four. And, you know, as the last born, you always sort of need to fight your way through for, for attention and for space. But I had fantastic siblings. But I also had parents, my mom and dad, who were very rooted in public service and community service. And so then, therefore, our childhood as, as young Kenyans oscillated between um, a city life where, you know, went to school in the formative years, but also a life, you know, uh, traveling the country, uh, connecting a lot with our rural village, which is in Western mm -hmm. Kenya. Um, and really seeing, should I say, the diversity that life had to offer socially, economically, and culturally. And I think through the lens of, of my parents' public service leaning, at a very early age, it struck me that there were inequalities. Um, how to express that as a nine-year-old to me was just that it was very clear that there were some people who had and some people who didn't have. And so when you ask about, you know, how does this set me up for the future? You know, I honestly have to say at about age nine, it was clear for me that I wanted to work with communities and I wanted to find a way to bridge that gap between those who had and who didn't have. But I have to say, this was all through the perspective of a nine-year-old. So it played out in many ways, you know, was it going to be teaching? Was it going to be, you know, being in the church? Was it going to be, you yeah. know... So many things running through my mind, but I was just very clear that I needed to work somewhere where I would be able to 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 understand why those those differences existed, why those gaps existed, and figure out being part of those solutions. You know, sometimes it's about saving up your pocket money and wanting to give it to something or, or do something with it. But it, it evolved. It evolved so many ways over time. Yeah, and, and kind of which route did you actually then go? I mean, you know, what did you choose to study at university and, and, and how did that come about? Right. So, I mean, I, I um, gosh, so I went to university and I, I studied, um, I studied development. I studied economics and I did a minor in international development. I also did languages. I, you know, I was fascinated about how you would navigate and, and communicate, um, you know, with different cultures and different people. So I studied economics. I studied international development. I studied languages. And I, I was fortunate enough to do my undergraduate in, in Montreal in Canada. Yeah time to sort of perfect my French and keep going with my English and, 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 and get going on. 
which is extraordinary. I mean, what, what astonishing foresight for kind of what you're, you're, you're now doing. And, and so, I mean, there you are as a nine-year-old, you know, kind of you've got this very strong sense of purpose. But, you know, how did you actually like find your, your purpose, you know, kind of navigating your career? You know, how, how, did, how, did, you, how did that kind of arrive? Right. And, you know, it's, it's one of those where, you know, so I'm not really sure that you ultimately land at purpose. I think <laughs> this is something that evolves over time and continues to shape itself. So, you know, obviously being in university and then going on to grad school was, was one of the most formative ways in which I shaped that passion and continued in graduate school to study public policy, which I thought for me was great to understand policy underpinnings around some of the great challenges that we face. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I graduated and I couldn't get a job in policy. No. <laughs> so I, um, you know, I had big aspirations about working in a, in a policy think tank and, you know, dissecting yeah. policies that, that drove these inequalities that I'd seen. And it, it didn't work out. Well, you know what? Another path evolved. I, I went back home and I, I got a great you know, first internship job working in the nonprofit sector. And I really got the chance to roll up my sleeves and get into the world of development. So real community development. I was working in the field. My first job, literally three days after signing on a contract, was in Somalia. And, you know, if you're looking for exposure to a place where you can really work across the entire system, uh, you know, from working community with engaging with, you know, leadership at the time, that was it. And I really, I rolled up my sleeves and I, you know, for, I spent close to four years living and working amongst communities in Somalia, doing what I, I wanted to do then. So it gave me actually a very practical grounding in, in everything that I'd seen as a nine-year-old, but now was right there. I needed to understand what the challenges were. What resources do you allocate? How do you solve this? How do you work in groups? How do you interact with community? Um, I ultimately spent about uh, 11 years working in development, ultimately across the continent, from a very, the African continent, across a broad range of things, from health to education to governance to access to water. At some point, I even managed a landmines demining program. You know, so sort of looked at all sorts of challenges, you know, over time. Um, and I, I loved the, the, the work that we're doing um, for 12 years. I have to say it was really heavy on the travel and it was really heavy on, on being away from home. Yeah. And I made a conscious decision to try and get back to Kenya and, and see how I could work, just get back in touch with, with family and friends on the longer term. So I made a strategic shift and I then ended up working in the corporate sector. But, you know, the interesting thing is, and that speaks to my entire career trajectory, is that I've looked at how we could solve social problems just from different sectors. So I had a great run for 11 years working in a telecommunications company in Nairobi, Kenya, that was highly innovative around its business purpose and how you can use telecommunications and telco services to transform lives and bridge those gaps. Um, And I spent those another 12 years looking at the same development problems from a different angle. here I am now at the UN, still looking at development problems from, from a very different perspective around how you can mobilize business. So to say, you know, the red thread still runs through. It's still about bridging those inequalities. The purpose is still clear. I'm just seeing it through different lenses every so often. And I think the journey will still continue. Oh, I, I have no doubt. And, and I just think, I mean, that's extraordinary to have had that 
that close quarter like experience on the ground because you know that's often the the the, the difficulty <laughs> these things is like as soon as you've been on the ground you don't know how it works in in, right. in reality and 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 you don't know what the problems are that you know that 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 can crop up and I mean you know just to put you know the UN Global Com- um, Compact in 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 focus to everyone you know. It's got 10,000 plus corporate participants covering over 160 countries with 68 country networks. I mean, in effect, it is the largest voluntary corporate sustainability network in the world. I mean, that's extraordinary. I mean, the power of that is immense. Um, and, and, and those corporates, they range from multinationals to, to really quite small companies, don't they? They do. I mean, I, I'm truly honored to, um, to to have the opportunity to lead the Global Compact at this point in time. I've been in role for just about a year, uh, having joined, you know, at the pandemic. But but you're right. It truly is a, a force for transformation. You know, we're actually tapping out of, you know, 13, close to 14,000 companies. And as wow. you said, spread uh, all around the world with all sorts of sizes of companies, industries and, and focus areas as well. Yeah. And, and you know, I, I, you know, as I think, you know, I truly believe we can only get out of this situation together you know, that we're all facing and, 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 you know, sort of, you know, only kind of in, 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 in hand in hand with business and governments and civil society, are we actually going to, to make a change. And, you know, obviously, you know, this is in the, you know, we've got COP26 coming up. We had, uh, you know, the, the Youth for Climate Summits just happened. I mean, obviously, you know, the youngsters are, are you know, led by Greta and Vanessa are, 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 are incredibly vocal about what needs to be done and, and feel that you know, not enough is being done. I mean, you know, what, what are you doing at the UN Global Compact to, 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 really, to galvanize your, your members and your network to, to, to really create change? So, and I, I agree. I mean, there, there is so much to be done. And, you know, Greta and Vanessa, you see, and the, the thousands of other young people have really said it. We need to move from policy and commitments to action. And that's where a lot of the work of the UN Global Compact is is really focused on at this point in time. We've mobilized a business around making those commitments. So now mobilizing them around identifying real targets and demonstrating real progress to meet those targets around their emissions reduction, setting very bold targets, but also grounding them in science so that we can hold them accountable for those trajectories and hold them accountable for the outcomes of what they do. I think it's been great to work with, as you say, that range of businesses. So big businesses, you know, heavy emitters can take the charge, you know, make their commitments around uh, emission reduction and make those bold moves. But big businesses also have huge supply chains and value chains, and they can influence action through that. And I think that is truly important so that you get a global response to, to this global crisis. I think that's the first, but also for smaller businesses, and this is where the opportunity really lies in, in the climate debate as well, is to balance out what you know, emerging emerging businesses and emerging economies can and should do around the climate crisis and what those responses look like. So I think COP and the discussions and the work that we're doing really will help us bring together a a sort of a a broad view of, of what the responses are needed by large businesses, by smaller businesses to really address the climate crisis from all angles. Yeah, and of course, I mean, the world is made up of very many small businesses and a lot of those small businesses are often 
you know, led by women. <laughs> women are great at, at creating startups. And I mean, what I find very interesting about the Global Compact is, is that, you know, when I talk to people from small businesses, they're like, well, you know, we're not a Unilever. I don't know how. I haven't got that expertise. But you actually help. I mean, you actually coach and mentor these businesses, you know, as to what targets they should have and how to achieve them, don't you? We do. I think, we, you know, we run some fantastic accelerator programs that, you know, go through our local networks. You talked about them earlier. Those are our chapters on the ground and through the local networks, really reaching directly to businesses. We have accelerators where we have close to, you know, 600 companies signed up and we just go really practical step by step. What does target setting look like? How do you set a target? What are the resources you need to put in place to be able to meet those targets? What does success look like? You know, um, there's a plethora of, of, of SDGs. I mean, the 17 SDGs, you know, what is material and most relevant to your business and where you can have the most impact and drive the most change? So we have accelerators on, on SDG ambition that's identifying targets. We're in, you know, we have a climate accelerator that is fantastic. We have an accelerator on gender as well. And just, you know, giving companies the, the practical tools to be able to move forward step by step. Yeah. And, and you know, you, you, you brought it up and I have to ask this question about, you know, really the inclusion of, of, of women and, and underrepresented minorities. I mean, why is the inclusion of women and underrepresented minorities at the decision making table so important in this day and age? You know, I could kick off with an anecdote and there's many of them. You know, you, you don't win a game with playing with half of the team. You don't strike a deal with only, you know, sort of. Uh, half of half of the deal on the table. I mean, women do make up, you know, a large part of the world's population and they're there. Women are consumers. Women are, you know, they're, they're, they're active participants in, in the overall economy. So you just simply cannot move forward without having women's active participation and engagement. But, you know, if you do want to put forward a business case, it, it has been seen that women's participation and engagement fundamentally drives better business decisions and is really essential to economic and financial performance. I think a couple of studies have actually shown that where there's high female um, representation and participation, annual returns are actually much higher than that have, uh, you know, less diverse uh, business, um, sorry, less diverse uh, women around the table. I think, you know, there's a study that also says an estimated $28 trillion dollars could be added to global GDP by 2025 if there were sizable investments in gender equality. So there are some hard numbers that come come about it and come by it. But I think overall, you just have better business decisions, you have better foresight, and you bring, if you're sitting in a business, you brought your customer to the table. You know, you have equal participation from your customer base as well. Yes, I mean, what's there not to love? I mean, you you make more money, you help save the planet, and you, and you achieve the SDGs, you know, by by employing women. So, yeah, can I can I encourage everybody there out there to, do that. to, to absolutely do that? Um, and then, you know, what I wanted to ask, you know, from 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 you know your your extraordinary position and foresight. I mean. You know, for those people, you know, who want to start somewhere, you know, whether they're running, I mean, I'm not going to limit you to, to kind of one tip. Let's let's have a couple of them. But you know, what are your top tips for those listening who want to start somewhere, who want to make a change, who want, you know, who want to kind of hit the SDG targets, who want to really address climate change? For me, the first thing is to get perspective. I mean, Sarah, there's so much going on in this world. You know, we have right now we're sitting amidst a pandemic. 
there is the climate crisis, there's glaring inequalities growing all around us. And that's at a global level, not to speak about what might be happening at the country level and in personal businesses where business haven't been able to take off. And there's been massive domestic challenges as well. So we are faced with many problems, you know, so you want to start somewhere. My first tip is just get perspective. What is the problem at hand? And, you know, what is the issue that you want to solve? I think oftentimes, you know, we dive into things, not being very clear what exactly we want to solve, what we want to change and what success looks like. So for me, I liken this to getting off the noisy dance floor of life. We're all on the there's there's loud music we're all dancing in different styles and facing different directions but for you to be able to address your unique problem step away get onto the balcony get onto the sidelines and then take a look down and really understand what it is that you want to solve or resolve so perspective for me is is first i think the second is and that becomes more and more more and more real and true to me as we continue is that oftentimes you can solve problems alone and you've just got to figure out, you know, who do I need to partner with? Where do I get better ideas? Who can I leverage? What is my comparative or competitive advantage and who do I need to work with? Um, and we talk about, if I go back to the context of, of climate, I mean, the crisis will be resolved by government playing its role, private sector playing its role, civil society playing its accountability role, and citizen action. And also, you want to dive into things on our own, but I think it's really important to look at who are the key stakeholders that I need to have as I look at the dance floor of life and its problems and, and re-engage, but with the right people around me in a coordinated fashion, we're very clear about what we want to achieve. Yeah, and, and, and you're so well placed to do that, you know, with, with your organization and with the backing of the United Nations. And I, I, I'm, so, I'm so excited, um, you know, a, 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 about what you're doing there. It's, it's just, just quite incredible. And... You know, just, just, just. I mean, looking ahead, you know, what, what outcome would you? I mean, what outcome would you like to see <laughs> in November? Well, there's a couple of key things on the table. I mean, first, at a very practical level, engagement. Um, I know it's 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 been a tough year with the pandemic. It's been a tough year about deciding what you know uh, discussions and forums like this look like. Are we doing it in person? Are we doing it virtually? But I think what's really important is let's engage. Let's engage in the agenda. You know, the the pandemic has kept us focused on a couple of really important priorities, but the climate crisis has not abated. It's still there. So for me, engagement, I think, is really critical. Um, over time and in the course of this year and in the build-up to COP, we've certainly heard you know, significant commitments by government. I think commitments need to be backed by finances and they certainly need to be backed by action. Uh, looking at the private sector, I think it'd be great to have high levels of ambition, high levels of commitment and ambition from, from heavy emitters uh, to be able to drive forward their actions, as well as work through, as I said, supply chains and value chains as well. Private sector, too, has a role in, in mobilizing and shaping where finance and capital flows to address the, the climate crisis. So that's important. And then there's the, the piece around the adaptation and the, the funding and the focus on that and building resilience for the future. So there's a lot on the table. And, and it goes back to my earlier point that this problem cannot be solved together. It really needs a multi-stakeholder, multilateral approach to, mm -hmm. to where we need to go. Yeah, I mean, for, 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 for sure. And, and thank you for so eloquently kind of you know, lining that up. And, you know, for those people who are listening, you know, who are interested in joining um, the Global Compact, how, how do they find out more about it? And, and, and you, know, uh, you, you know, how small can you be? 
Right. You know, we've just launched, uh, we launched a new strategy for the period uh, 2021 to 23, where we have a focus on the SME sector. Um, and this is really just actually, you know, incidentally, the bulk of our membership at present is actually SME. I think about 60% of our business memberships are small and medium enterprises, you know, working at the country level, you'll find that those are really the, 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 the types of businesses that drive forward economies. But we're looking at developing a tailored program for SMEs because they do have unique problems and they've been significantly affected through the pandemic. So we're happy to take small and medium enterprises. We're building partnerships to be able to deal with, you know, other areas of, you know, perhaps micro and smaller enterprises. But we look at everything from MNCs into leading national companies, mid-sized companies, and, and working right now on, on making sure that we can respond to the needs of smaller companies. You know, we're grounded in a set of business principles that I think apply to all sizes of companies, we call them our 10 principles. And they really deal with, I think, fundamental principles that help put businesses on a path of resilience and sustainability. And they truly do apply from a small business right to a multinational. Wonderful, wonderful. So they should go onto your website if, 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 if they're interested. And perhaps, Sandy, you could just let us know what your website address is. Sure, absolutely. They can go onto the website. It's www dot unglobalcompact.org also if they are in a country where you know one of the countries where we have now 17 networks and you certainly know of the global compact network in country you could also reach out to them as well so website or a local network in country amazing Sandra thank you so much I mean I'm so excited hearing about all your extraordinary plans I mean you've, you've only been there for a year and <laughs> sort of the strides you've been making are extraordinary and you know I just wanted to thank you you know for everything you're doing you know because you know as, as, as you know I said earlier this is the largest voluntary corporate sustainability network in the world and the power of, of, of that organization is, is, is just astonishing to affect change. And, and it's just wonderful to have you as such a visionary and, and, and energetic and inspired leader at the helm. Thank you so Thank much. You. Thank you so much for your kind words. And it's great to have this group of companies. There's huge challenges ahead of us. So we must continue building momentum and, and just really drive from commitment to action. We must indeed. Thank you. Wow, wasn't Sandra just amazing? I would really encourage you to tune into uh, the UN Global Compact social feeds and to Sandra's own social media during this COP26. I just want to say that my next guest tomorrow will be the incredible Jojo Mesa from Stop Ecoside. Uh, you'll love hearing from her. She's an incredible, extraordinary and amazing woman.